It's something for nothing. The Rush Fancast. Jerry and Steve with you. Jerry, how are you on this fine evening? I'm great, Steve. How are you? I'm terrific. You can find us on Twitter at Rush Fancast. Instagram, we are at the Rushcast. Email Jerry, the Rushcast at gmail.com. Get on our email list. It's very important that you're on our email list so you don't miss an episode. Jerry sends one email a week. He's not a spammer. Nope. Get on our email list. We'd love to have you. Lex did the open and close baseline. Subscribe or follow us on your favorite podcast app. And Jared, today we've got a fun episode for you. It, we're planning on it being fun. That's exactly <laughs> right. We're hoping it's going to be fun. But before we get into the fun episode, I have a Twitter poll. Wow, a Twitter poll. It's been it's been a minute since you had a Twitter poll. What is this Twitter poll? And I feel like I should do more of these because we got really good response on this. I love the Twitter poll. As I said before, I don't I don't follow us on Twitter. I mean, I follow us on Twitter, but I don't actually go on Twitter at all. So it's new to me, anything you do on there. So we talked about different stages probably about a month or so ago. And I asked the Rush fans, what's your favorite of Rush's first four live albums? The choices, as I'm sure you know, All the World's a Stage, Exit Stage Left, A Show of Hands, and Different Stages Live. What do you think the Rush fans said, Jer? This is a tough one, actually, because before we had listened to all four of them, I definitely would have said either all the world's a stage or exit stage left. Mm-hmm. But people seem to love all four of them, including a show of hands, which I was surprised at. But I'm still going to go with exit stage left. It was a landslide. Exit stage left, oh, nice. 53%. Nice. All the world's a stage came in second, 17%, a show of hands, 16%, and different stages, 14%. So the other three albums were about equal. Right. And I think Exit Stage Left is a lot of Rush fans' entry point. We discussed this before, and I think there's no swaying people from Exit Stage Left, no matter how good these other records are. No, it's just the song choice is just classic. I mean, back then, they didn't have that many albums. So every every song was a was a hit every song was a huge song you know for rush fans that mm-hmm. is and it was a lot of people's first album so they just love it right it was on the heels of um, moving pictures so got a lot of play mm-hmm. so you got an email for us jar i hear it's a good one i do have an email it is from todd hey todd not sure if we ever read anything from todd todd has sent a few emails this might be the first one i've read anyway he says Hey, Steve and Jerry. That's awesome. Uh, I'm not sure if you should share this email as it could be viewed as Rush Sacrilege. Oh, wow. I can't wait to hear it now. How's that for an opening salvo? I love that opening. You have to read it now. I certainly don't want to insult, hurt, or anger anyone with my opinion. (laughs) You don't know where this is going, do you, Steve? I can't wait. I was just wondering what your thoughts might be on one of my Rush hangups. Okay. I was reading this and I'm like, what is he going to say? <laughs> Jer, our listeners are waiting with bated breath to find out what this is about. Come on, get on with it. I had fun listening to your recent Different Stages episode. It's been many years since I heard that CD collection. I was reminded of how good it sounded, how well they played, the neat choices in the mix and set lists, and even the little live musical surprises spread amongst our favorite songs. I was at the Toronto show, which can still be found on YouTube. I remember Alex wearing his leather pants in 95 degree weather, a warrior indeed. 
Those were the good days, and I'm so pleased that different <laughs> stages exists. That's not the controversial part. I'm guessing not, no. However, not to be a bummer, and I am a six-time certified 32-year Rush mega fan, which I'm assuming means he's seen them six times. Okay. That's, that's my assumption. I have always found most of the Test for Echo tour selection on different stages nearly unlistenable. Really? That's what he says. Not, that's not what I said. That's what he said. The reason? Here it goes. The drums. What? Neil Peart is my favorite musician of all time. He will forever be my largest influence outside my own parents. While not my favorite studio album, Tesper Echo's drumming sounded amazing. At over the age of 40, Neil invested in himself and studied with Freddie Gruber. I respect Neil very much for reinventing himself. All that spark, all that enthusiastic time he spent mastering new ideas. The Test for Echo shows had Neil using a new drum layout and Gruber-inspired feel. While he had dabbled publicly before with traditional grip, usually used in short, delicate passages, this time he used the molar drum grip and techniques, which I probably should have looked up what those were. Okay. Drummers, drummers will know. He even used it on the live, older material. Such a brave choice on such a large kit. The Test for Echo songs sound normal, of course. Just didn't enjoy it when he played any previous music using this new style. It was different. The playing slightly loose, the snare drum kind of drags. A quick example where it really shows is the backbeat in the opening of Different Stages, The Analog Kid. As the picky musician type, it sounds just behind to me. It's where Bonham or Alex Van Halen always lived, but Neil, not so much. Many people might rightfully dig this, sort of slowed down and maybe heavier, or just because it was different. With respect, I just loved his original style. Precise, complex, and excited youthful energy. Neil did largely return to his original natural groove when he came back with Vapor Trails. Sadly, he didn't drum for some time after the Test for Echo tour when his tragedies happened. But when he did return to action, he largely reverted back to his matched grip style and feel. This might have been done out of necessity, as his skills would have naturally eroded a little after so much time off or it's possible it was a musical choice. But I, for one, was glad to have it back. And boy, did he get back to form, and even more so. He says, what do you guys think? I hope I haven't ruined different stages for you, and maybe I'm just nuts. He's from, and this is Todd from Ontario. Well, thanks, Todd, for the email, first of all. But not being a drummer, Jer, I can't say that I noticed any of that. And I think if I went back and listened again, I don't think I would notice this time either. I might notice but it would only be because he pointed it out. You know what I mean? I might notice it's it's a little behind the beat in a Bonham style, if it is. I just don't know if it would bother me even knowing that that was occurring. Yeah, I, I didn't notice that. I mean, we saw them on, on that tour a few times. Now, I hadn't known that he studied with anyone back when we saw them. You know what I mean? It just wasn't at least common knowledge. Or as, as I've learned from doing this podcast, Steve, pretty casual rush fans we are right <laughs> compared to some people we are and i don't think it's wrong for any rush fan to have an opinion like that about a rush album if it's not his favorite album it's not his favorite album right it's totally fine i didn't know that he had studied with someone and that he had changed his grip i think by that time the, the ticket prices were probably a little too expensive for us to get very close <laughs> so um I, I never noticed it and i didn't notice it when we listened to it well, this ties in very nicely with today's episode because you just said we're not 
the biggest Rush fans. We're really not. I know. It's crazy. After doing this podcast for almost 100 episodes, what we have discovered is we're not huge Rush fans at all. (laughs) Right? Right. Two guys who are doing a Rush podcast aren't huge Rush fans. We're really not. We love Rush, but we pale in comparison to other people's love of the band. That is true. To our family and friends, we are nuts. (laughs) We are totally nuts for loving Rush as much as we do, for having Rush stuff all around the house, talking about Rush songs all the time, for seeing them so many times, for spending so much money Mm -hmm. and time and listening to them all the time, talking about, oh, that reminds me of a Rush song, which I just did at dinner about a half an hour ago. Annoys your family, but Rush fans aren't impressed. No, Rush fans are (laughs) not impressed. And another thing Rush fans were not impressed with was when I mentioned on the podcast that I had never heard Battle Scar by Max Webster. The emails and the Twitters I got, how could you possibly not have heard Battle Scar? What kind of Rush fan are you? Right. How could you call yourself a Rush fan? Right. And never even heard of Battle Scar. Never mind. Ever, never heard it. Right. We're not real Rush fans because we've never heard Battle Scar. Guilty as charged, Steve. That's us. <laughs> so at the time, what I said to you is, you know what would be great? Let's not listen to Battle Scar. So this was six, eight months ago, and I still yeah. haven't listened to it deliberately. I still haven't listened to it either. So my thought was, let's do an episode where we listen to Battle Scar for the first time, just like those reaction videos you see on YouTube. Which I love. Which I love, and we'll see what we think. Yeah. Here's my problem. It's, a, it's, a, it's one of my congenital personality quirks is that if somebody tells me that I'm going to like something, I almost never check it out. I almost never. <laughs> I don't know what it is with me. People recommend TV shows and music to me all the time. You're going to love this. If you love this, you're going to love this. Or I know you, you're going to love this. I try to avoid it at all costs until I forget that they've that they've recommended it to me because there's something in my head where I just evaluate it too critically. If people say you're going to love this and then I, for some reason, find some reason to not love it. It's definitely not as bad as it used to be, but it's still there a little bit. Do you think there's a greater chance that you won't like this because all rush fans think that you'll like it? I don't have the slightest idea. I hope I love it. I hope I love it too. I hope it becomes my favorite song in the entire world. It's almost like getting a new rush song. I guess maybe, I guess. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know. Yeah. So that's just me. I try to avoid things that people uh, tell me I'll, I like, even though the strange thing is that I'm always recommending things to people, (laughs) (laughs) right? I'm always, I'm always telling you about music I'm listening to or a movie I saw or a book I read and how great it was. I'm telling the kids this and tell them, I don't know what my problem is. And when I recommend something to you, you don't do it. No, I don't even, I never listen to what you say, Steve. I never follow. I don't think that's true though. I think I listen to the recommendations you give me. I think you do. The thing is that we, we have a lot of difference in our musical appreciation. You like a lot of bands I don't like, and I like a lot mm-hmm. of bands you don't like. So when you recommend some bands to me, I, I just don't like them. Like there was a band Ivy. Oh, you didn't like that? I didn't like that. I don't know why. <laughs> I'm sure it's fine. It just... And I don't like the Indigo Girls, so there. That's right. I can't believe that. Different strokes for different folks, Jer. That's a little behind the music and has nothing to do with Rush, but 
Steve, obviously you and I are Rush concert buddies, but your wife and I are Indigo Girls concert buddies. That is strange. We've seen Indigo <laughs> Girls together probably more times than you and I have seen Rush together. I think that's true. I think that's yeah. true. I think it's great. It is great. She's great at concerts. So, Jarrah, I figured we'd start with a couple of quotes, as we usually do. Oh, sure. The first quote is from Getty, and this is from the book Visions by Bill Banishevitz. Is that how you say his name? Sure. Getty said, we set up both bands live, and we had this producer, Jack Richardson, standing in the middle with a baton, sort of conducting us. We were all in a circle, and he was in the middle, and we just recorded the tune. Hmm. On Battlescar, of course. So full ba- two full bands playing at the same time. Yeah, this is going to be interesting. Yeah. And Getty says of Max Webster, they're quite hard to describe, but they have amazing musicianship and very interesting lyrics. All right. And I've got a quote from Neil also. Toronto, July 28th, 1980. This is the date they recorded it. An intense thunderstorm raged outside all day long, while indoors a storm of a different kind was brewing. In the studios of Phase One, two complete sets of equipment crammed in the room and two complete bands filled the air with a Wagnerian tumult as Max Webster and ourselves united to record a song for their album called Battle Scar. Neil said this in the Moving Pictures tour book. Wow. Yeah. So is there anything in there? And I guess, man, I really should have. I wanted to come into this as cold as possible to, okay. to listen to it. I probably should have done a little bit of research, but why did they do this? Two full bands? Like, why not? You know, like, that's strange. That's a strange thing. Two entire setups, two entire bands playing the same song. Yeah, I don't know. I'm guessing that they were just really good friends with Max Webster. I know that for a fact. Right. And I think Max Webster had this song, and they asked Rush to play on it, and they said, sure, because they're buddies. Right. And the lyrics for this song were written by none other than Pi Dubois, who wrote most of Max Webster's lyrics. And of course, was introduced to Neil Peart by Max Webster and subsequently assisted Neil with the lyrics for Tom Sawyer, Force 10, and Between Sun and Moon. So Pi Dubois is part of this song as well. Three of the most, I was going to say obscure, not the lyrics are a little obscure for those three songs. I'm looking at the lyrics right now. I haven't, I'm not reading them. I'm just seeing them. There's not many. No, there isn't. I, I have them here too. And I think we should go through the lyrics too. It's at some point here. Well, let's, should we just listen? I mean, should we just do this? Let's listen to the song. Let's do it. I can't wait. I'm excited now.
Wow. It's pretty cool so far, right? Yeah. The beginning, are those two, is that Getty and the bass player of Max Webster playing? Or is that a bassist and a guitarist? Like, I don't know who's playing which instrument. Do you? And, and if it's two basses at the beginning? I have no idea. But it sounds like two basses to me. It does sound like two basses to me. All right. This, for some reason, this is n- nothing like I thought the song was going to sound, even though I have no idea what the song was going to sound. <laughs> right? I agree. I agree. Okay. So let me give you the the listing of the people that you're hearing on this song, okay? So yep. Terry Watkinson, the drummer for Max Webster, and Neil Peart are both playing drums, and you can hear both sets of drums at the same time. You, you could hear that, right? Yeah. Pretty cool. Kim Mitchell is the vocalist and guitarist, for Max Webster. That's who you hear on vocals on the first verse. And Getty is playing bass and also singing. We'll hear him later, I would imagine. Dave Miles is the bassist for Max Webster. And I think you're right. I think Getty and Dave are playing at the same time. And then, of course, Alex Lifeson, also on guitar. I've heard of him, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Just picture being this Dave Miles guy, though, okay? He's playing with Getty Lee. I don't care how accomplished he is. <laughs> He's playing with Getty Lee. That's scary, isn't it? I don't know. I mean, if you're an accomplished musician and you're playing with Getty Lee, maybe Getty feels the same way. You think Getty was nervous playing with Dave Miles? It's like that story that Eddie Trunk told about Mike Piazza and Getty Lee. Like, I can't talk to you. You're Getty Lee. I can't talk to you. You're Mike Piazza. <laughs> I can't play on this song with you. You're Dave Miles, man. Right, exactly. All right, let's 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 play some more. Buster, Buster. Wow, that's Getty is killing it. He's killing it. That sounds like a farewell to Kings Getty to me. Yeah, this is not. Yeah, this is not. What year was this out? This song recorded? Did you 1980. say 1980? This is yeah, not this moving pictures, Getty. That's a farewell to Kings Getty, right? Yeah, that's that's older Getty. He's really ripping it, man. I love it. Try to understand the white man's fears, make him bend, but they wouldn't yield. Uncle Sam's time is only a greased wheel. no idea what that means but it sounds cool (laughs) as hell let's listen to the rest of the song first then we're done we can figure out the lyrics if we can if we can okay okay. if we can here's more Before we continue, I really love 
Kim and Getty singing together. That's cool. Yeah. Now it makes me wish that they had done more songs together. Yeah, you never hear Getty Lee singing with somebody else. Yeah. So it, it's kind of cool, I think. Yeah, and, and Kim has a completely different voice. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, I've never heard Max Webster before either. I know Rush fans think this is blasphemous. Yeah. But remember, we're not real Rush fans. Before you say it, we're going to say it. I'm a lapsed Catholic, so I'm used to blasphemy. <laughs> so that does that that charge doesn't bother me. But yeah, I I also have never listened to Max Webster. There's a lot of bands I've never listened to, man. We could do a whole podcast about bands I've never gotten into. But that's 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 should we just listen? To, I'm assuming that the rest of all the lyrics are done. Well, let's see what happens. So maybe just listen to the last three minutes. Maybe it's just going to be all rocking out. Let's see. Let's well, see. Let's, let's see. behind the drums right that double set of drums going it's it's fantastic and i don't know who's playing what i don't know i was trying to figure out what the so it almost doesn't sound like an alex solo to me at least yet right so that could have been kim yeah who knows let's this is keep it going all right keep it going
You think it's going to fade, Jer? Or do you think it's going to end cold? Oh, it's totally going to fade. It's totally going to fade. Yeah, you're going to hate it. It's totally going to fade. <laughs> All right, here we go. That had fade written all over it, and then it did. <laughs> <laughs> Total fake out of a fade. Great rock and roll ending. So, like you said, Jared, that was nothing at all like I thought it was going to be. I don't know what I thought it was going to be, but that was not it. No, no, that was fantastic. That was a short five minutes, man. That was great. Why didn't we listen to that sooner, Jared? What, what I don't were we know. waiting for? <laughs> I just, I'm so, I'm, I guess, I'm surprised that it was as good as it was. I don't know why, I'm, like I said, I don't know why I'm surprised, but that's just the part of me. It's just like, there's no way this song could be as good as everyone says it is, right? Well, how could Getty, Alex, and Neil be involved in something that wasn't good? I mean, really, think about that. That's true. That's true. So, but the drums, so do you think it was only Neil doing those fills? I don't, I, I don't know anything about the drum kit, the guy from Max Webster, so. In a couple of spots, it sounded like Neil to me. Right, exactly. So it very well could have been Terry Watkinson doing some of those fills. Right. And I'm sure it was in some spots, but it's hard, hard to tell. It is hard to tell. That was a great tune. That was really good. I think I'm going to put it on my playlist, Jer, and yeah. play it some more. Should we go through the lyrics and try to figure out what was the song was about? Yeah, let's do it. There, there aren't a lot of lyrics. So the first no. verse was sung by Kim Mitchell. Been in jail for a thousand years. Found a fist in an empty field. Only quarters for meals. Feel the way I feel. I'll leave this one to you, Jer. What do you think? I don't have the slightest idea. It reminds me a, a little <laughs> bit of the way that Chris Cornell writes. It reminds me a little bit of Chris Cornell lyrics at times because he yeah. can be very obtuse with his lyrics. I wonder if he was a Max Webster fan. Well, this could be why Neil rewrote a lot of Pai Dubois lyrics. So they made a little more sense. Right. Been in jail for a thousand years, found a fist in an empty field. I can only, I mean, I, right off the top of my head, I would just think it's has something to do with, you know, finding a fist in an empty field sounds to me like it's finding anger, you know, finding the remnants of, mm -hmm. of someone else's, well, I guess it's called battle scar, but finding the remnants of someone else's battles. What do you think quarters for meals means? They're at the automat? Uh, just poverty. Yeah, like maybe they're just, the person's just a nomad. <laughs> I mean, if he's been in jail for a thousand years, he's coming out with no money. That's for, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, only quarters for meals. Oh, that just means he's, he's poor, right? Right, yeah. He, he, has he no got money. out of jail. He's poor. He doesn't have a lot of money to feed himself. Right. It could just be highly metaphorical, too. Could be. So then we get to the chorus. And uh, Kim and Getty are singing this together. Bust the busters, screw the feeders, make the healers, feel the way I feel. Mm. It sounds like somebody who's a little disenchanted with life, right? Who wants the people in power or the people around him to feel the negativity 
and the, you know, the weariness that he feels. You know what I mean? Bust the busters. That sounds like, you know, like strike, strike breakers or something like that. You know, break up mm. the, break up the system. Screw the feeders. I'm exactly sure that people who feed the system, perhaps. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the system even that put him in this, this kind of prison for a long time, even if it's a prison of his own making. Mm-hmm. And the name of the song is Battle Scar, right? So right. this person's got a lot of, not scars of actual battle, but whatever it is he's going through, either in jail or whatever he's been right. in. Scars of pleasure, scars of pain, Steve. Yeah. Atmospheric changes make them sensitive again. Right. And he <laughs> wants to make the healers feel the way I feel. Hmm. So he wants to make the people who make people feel better feel as badly as he feels. Feel the pain he feels. Feel the pain that he feels. Maybe to make them better better healers, better doctors, whatever, right? You have to have sympathy and empathy for your patient. And if you can have someone, if you can have a healer who can really feel the pain of the person they're trying to heal, that would make them a much better, much better healer. So let's get into the next verse. This is the one that Getty sings. Tried to understand the white man's fears. Make them bend, but they wouldn't yield. Uncle Sam's time is only a greased wheel. Feel the way I feel. Now, do you think that it's possible they're talking about slavery here? Tried to understand the white man's fears? You think? Yes, I do. Now I do. (laughs) Right. Make them bend, but they wouldn't. Yep. Make them bend, but they wouldn't yield. That would be the slaves themselves. That's what I'm thinking. Right. And Uncle Sam's time is only a greased wheel. Right? This it's it's a it's a wheel without friction, but that mm-hmm. the grease is provided by unpaid labor and slavery. Pai Dubois and of course all members of all these bands were Canadians and they're yes. singing about Uncle Sam's time, which which is America. Yeah. And if this is nineteen eighty, so this is right when Reagan was president. Mm-hmm. He was a he was a very popular president here in in the states, but well, we shouldn't really get into that. But his economic uh, ideas had had a, a lasting impact on America, and I can only assume that he was he wasn't very favorably looked at by um, other countries either. I would think not. Uncle Sam's time is only a greased wheel. Man, that's rough. Yeah, because if you think about this wheel, right? See, if you if you're gonna carry this metaphor forward, right? If it's a greased wheel, it has no friction to it, right? But eventually, it's gonna run out of its grease. It's going to meet friction, mm-hmm. right? And then its time is gonna be up, right? The 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 ability of this wheel to to move frictionless. That time is gonna end, and then maybe the United States will feel the way I feel, right? Feel the way this person feels. There's a lot going on in here. There's a lot going on in this song. If yeah, there's a lot going on in this song. And then we get back to the bust the busters part. I'm really going to have to go back and listen to some Max Webster now. Yeah, really, man. That's a lot. That's a lot for eight lines. (laughs) There's a lot of, that's a lot buried in those eight lines. You know, if only we were real rush fans, Jerry would have listened to this a lot sooner. And been enjoying this for years. 
That's right. What were we thinking? We should ask our, well, I'm asking right now. We should ask people who listen to send us their next favorite Rush, like a couple of, not Rush, a couple of Max Webster greats. Okay. A couple of songs here and there. You know what I mean? Instead of diving into like an album here and there, people should tell us what songs to listen to. Like maybe five, everyone's favorite top five Ma- Max Webster songs. And then we can listen to those and really start get, getting started on it. We can also email uh, Martin Popoff. I read somewhere that Max Webster is his favorite band. Oh. I don't know how true that is. But if it is, I think Martin could pick five songs like he does on his podcast. That's right. Give us some recommendations. Maybe we can, yeah. Maybe we can inspire him to do an, an episode. Five Max Webster songs. So what, what do you think of this idea to listen to Max Webster for the first time pretty much while we're recording the podcast? Well, I thought it was a dumb idea, Steve. I have to go right off the bat. Did you really? Oh, yeah. I just I, I was going into this thinking, there's, there's no way that this is going to work. There's just no way. You didn't think you would like the song. That's why, though. I was afraid I wasn't going to like it. And then I would just have to be, you know, a big dummy about it. But I really do like it. Well, the great thing about pre-recording a podcast, Jar, is if it doesn't work, we don't have to put it out there. That's right. <laughs> we'll have to listen back and see if it worked. As far as I'm concerned, it worked. I enjoyed this very much. Not very Rush-related, though. I mean, we didn't really talk about Rush exactly, but I think it's Rush-related enough, right? Oh, sure. Oh, sure. I mean, Getty, Alex, and Neil played on this song. It's super Rush-related. That's right. So, Jared, before we wrap things up, there has been some Rush news of late. I know. It's very exciting. Very exciting. Alex Lifeson, first of all, released two new tracks on his website, his new website, alexlifeson.com, and they're both great. They are both great. They're instrumentals. Yeah. They remind me of some of the stuff that was on uh, Victor mm-hmm. a little bit, only a little more uh, melodic. And it's part of uh, recordings that he's been doing with uh, Andy Curran, right? Yep. Andy Curran's playing bass. Alex is playing guitar. Mm-hmm. And I believe they're going to add vocals to those tracks for the new band they've created. See, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's what I read on Ultimate Classic Rock, that they're going to take those two tracks and add vocals to them. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, and then there are going to be enough other songs to create a full album. Yeah, the Envy of None project, which, by the way, is a great name for a band, Envy of None. Oh, it's awesome and so (laughs) self-deprecating, which is so typical (laughs) Alex, right? It is, it is. (laughs) But... This band, Envy of None, is going to consist of Alex and Andy Curran on bass and a vocalist who I'd never heard of named Maya Wynn. And Jer, she's unbelievable. I know. I checked out her solo stuff. She's really good. She's a really good songwriter. This is going to be incredible. I can't wait to hear it. And I believe it's going to come out late summer or early fall. I didn't see a date. You're, you're, way, you're way more plugged in than I am. <laughs> on this topic. Well, I wanted to mention that we are not your source for rush news. <laughs> we're not. I mean, we're we, not. we pre-record this podcast. So the reason we're talking about it now, three or four weeks later is because we recorded this three or four weeks in advance. <laughs> right. Who knows what the, what will happen between now and then your sources for rush news are of course, Ed Stenger of Russia's a band blog. And he had right. this immediately when it happened and so did John Petuto of Cygnus X1 right. and Eric Hansen of Power Windows. Follow them all on Twitter. 
They've got the rush news instantly. We give it to you a month later. Yeah, that's we're like we're like a newspaper in the 1800s. There you go. You know, if you're living overseas, you're getting the 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 news a month later. I like that. I like that analogy. You know, another thing I wanted to mention is we talked about the email that one of our listeners, Jason, sent. You sprung it on me. It might have been an episode or two ago. That's my tactic, Steve. I like to spring things on you so I can win arguments. That's that's my deal. Well, you may have won the argument the other day, but I want to add to this. Now, just to refresh people's memory, if they haven't listened to that episode, Jason suggested that because of the CD era and the fact that Rush had more time for their later CDs versus the vinyl era where they only had 37 or 40 minutes for an album. More recording time on the CD than the album. Right. More recording time on the CD made for more not great Rush songs that could have been omitted, according to Jason, right? I think that's the gist of it. I don't know if he was really saying that some of the songs are not great. It's just that there definitely wouldn't have been that many songs on those albums had they just been LPs. And maybe the albums would have been a little tighter. Let's how about that. Has, is that a more generous description? Okay, but, but here's what I didn't think of then and what I thought of after I, I listened back to the episode is Uh-oh. we're assuming that, for instance, Hold Your Fire, Rush would have omitted Tai Shan and therefore the album would be better. But how do you know that's the song the band would have chosen to omit? You don't. You don't. You don't. So take moving pictures, for instance, okay? Now, this may not be a good example because it's not, it's a, not a good example. It's not a long album. <laughs> but what was the track that the band was not as enamored with prior to releasing moving pictures? Do you know? I don't know. It was Tom Sawyer. Oh, that's right. Right? That's right. Yeah, I do remember that. Now. They didn't love Tom Sawyer. They weren't sure about it. So if they were going to cut a song from that album prior to release, it would have been Tom Sawyer. Yeah. And? signals the next album what's the track that they recorded last you know this right right new world man new world man so if they didn't have the time for that we wouldn't have new world man right it wouldn't be countdown like you'd prefer right (laughs) i guess so what's your point steve my point is you're suggesting and jason's suggesting that the albums would be better if x song was not on it or b song wasn't on it but you guys wouldn't get to choose which song was omitted. Rush would. That's very true. So moving pictures wouldn't be better without Tom Sawyer. Signals wouldn't be better without New World Man. Clockwork Angels wouldn't be better without Halo Effect, which is the last song they recorded for that album, which I think really ties that record together nicely. That's true. Are you going to make me admit defeat now, Steve? Yes, I'm trying to get you to admit defeat. I'm (laughs) right. You're wrong. The issue, though, with that is that if those songs hadn't appeared on those albums, we would never know that there were other songs. That's true. To appear on the album. That's true. Like nobody would miss Tom Sawyer. People wouldn't be like, oh boy, there's something missing from moving pictures. You wouldn't just, you just wouldn't know. True. But you'd still be complaining about Countdown on Signals even though New World Man doesn't exist, right? <laughs> I guess so. That's right. You'd still be saying, you know, if it was just five minutes shorter, it would be better. <laughs> it would just be a different song you'd be complaining about. That's all. Are you trying to <laughs> insinuate that I just complain? How dare you? <laughs>
I think you're right. Yes. How about that? Yes. I still, however, reserve the right to think that albums would be better if they were shorter. How about that? Okay. That's a compromise. That's a compromise. One thing I had a hard time finding out was what the last song on each album that was recorded was. I mean, we knew it for Signals. We knew it for Clockwork Angels. We knew Tom Sawyer was a a tough song for them to put together for moving pictures. But the Uh other albums, I didn't really find a song that was the last song recorded. I'm sure there was one, but I don't know what it was. There have to be a last song recorded. Yeah, I, I think based on reading Neil's tour books, I believe that Malignant Narcissism was the last song recorded for Snakes and Arrows. He didn't come right out and say it, but it sounded like that was the last one they did. Okay. And for Vapor Trails, he said Freeze and Peaceable Kingdom were two of the later songs that they recorded. Well, I guess it also, they would have to make some kind of decision, not necessarily the last song recorded, but if they only had space for 10 songs and they had 13 songs, they would have to figure out which one they would want to cut. It wouldn't necessarily be the last one they recorded. They could have just like had the sketches of the songs and, and think that one was worth exploring more over another. Who knows what songs they might have cut right? or not, not cut, not even recorded. Right, well, that's my point, though. We don't know. We don't know. We can't pick the song and say, well, if this song wasn't on it, that album would be great. Rush would have right. picked a different song to omit. Possibly. Possibly. We're just, we're just assuming, or maybe you're not assuming anymore. I'm just assuming. <laughs> That they are of a like mind and would omit the song that I think is the weaker. But that obviously is not the case. In the case of Roll the Bones, after reading the notes on that album, I think You Bet Your Life would have been the song they omitted if they omitted one. And I think we would all agree that that would probably be the one to omit. Oh, don't say that, Steve. All agree? Me, you, and uh, my cat. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. Tino, notoriously... (laughs) hates that song he (laughs) constantly meowing to me how much he hates that song and one more thing before we wrap things up jerry we helped one of our listeners mitch with a school project he was working on oh yes a couple of months ago right that's right we discussed the global reach of our podcast with mitch yes and he shared it with his class was it a college course he was taking yes it was it was a college course so that got me thinking about the global reach of our podcast. We have listeners not only in the United States and Canada and the UK and, of course, Scotland. Yes. We have listeners all over the world. That we do. Would you like to hear a short list of some of the countries? I'd love to hear them. I think it would come as no surprise that most of our downloads are from the United States. Okay, that's fair. But then we have the UK, mm-hmm. which you know is, is not just one country, but Canada. Then Australia, Sweden, Brazil, Germany, Netherlands, Ireland, Finland, New Zealand, Norway, Italy, India, Mexico. And the list goes on and on and on. And like I've said before, our one listener (laughs) in Russia, still there's just one guy in Russia who's listened to, oh, you know, oh no, I'm looking at it right now. From Russia, we have more downloads than we do episodes there have been 102 downloads. Ooh, we have a second listener in Russia. Yes. We might have a second listener in Russia. Oh, He's that's awesome. slowly making his way yeah. or her way through all of them. There are a lot of countries that don't have any listens in. Um, one of them being Greenland for some reason. 
So if you know anyone in Greenland. There aren't a lot of people in Greenland, Jared. That's the problem. Still, Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but we have, we have almost all of North and South America covered, so that's good. So maybe the re- reason we haven't heard from a lot of these listeners is because of the language barrier. It's possible, but they must know some English if they're listening to us, right? So if you're in a country other than the United States, Canada, or the UK, send us an email, therushcast at gmail.com. Tell us where you're from, how you found us. Tell us your Rush origin story. Maybe we'll read a few of the emails on air. I think, I think it'd be interesting for our listeners to hear from Rush fans from other countries. Yeah, and I think it's totally acceptable if your first language isn't English and you want to write in your native language. I'll, do, I'll just drop it in Google Translate. There you go. And do my best to read that. So I have no problem with that. Cool, cool. So I think this was fun. I think it was fun too. Now I've got a new song to listen to. This is exciting. I wonder if there are any other songs like this out there with all three members of the band on it that we could I do. don't think so. I mean, there's the, there's the Bob and Doug McKenzie song that, <laughs> that Getty sung on. I don't know if that's worth doing a whole episode on. We could summarize that in a couple of words. <laughs> it was funny. 10 bucks is 10 bucks. Yeah, it was funny. You can find us on Twitter at RushFanCast. Instagram, we are at the Rushcast. Email Jerry, therushcast at gmail.com. Send us your hate mail because we never <laughs> listened to Battlescar until now. Therushcast at gmail.com. Get on our email list. Lex did the open and close. And Jerry, I hope you have a quote for us to wrap this up nicely. Yes. And it's from a song called Battlescar. <laughs> oh. I think I know what it's going to be. I think you do. Bust the busters, screw the feeders, make the healers feel the way I feel. Take it easy, Jer. All right. See you, Steve. Thank you.